Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. Chapter 4. Making a Case for CLTs in All Markets, Even Cold Ones. Written and read by Steve King. An epigraph by Susan Witt and Robert Swan. The Community Land Trust is a proven tool for change. When shall we dare use it? Over the past several decades in the United States, there has been a resurgent interest in a certain quality of life afforded by dense urban living, particularly among well-educated, high-income earners. This has precipitated a resegregation of the population in hot-market metropolitan areas like the one surrounding San Francisco, where housing production has failed to keep pace with economic growth. The persistent racialized disinvestment and neglect that for decades targeted sections of the Bay Area, including East and West Oakland, Bayview-Hunters Point, East Palo Alto, and Richmond, has nearly vanished as real estate speculators have found opportunities to buy up land and buildings in proximity to downtown San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Long-time working-class residents have been steadily pushed to far-flung exurbs in search of affordability at the expense of social networks, increased commute times, and diminished cultural connection. Many who remain in the inner Bay Area have been subjected to adverse housing-related byproducts of the booming economy, including skyrocketing rents, involuntary displacement, no-fault evictions, tent encampments, and a near paralysis among public officials over how to ameliorate the resulting harm. This predicament is not unique to the Bay Area, and it is also not shared uniformly across the United States. At the other end of the economic spectrum, many older industrial towns, cities, and regions have experienced a seemingly irreversible downward spiral marked by a long decline of the manufacturing sector, a shrinking middle class, white flight and suburbanization, and the recent foreclosure crisis. Many places that once flourished around specific industries are struggling to survive in the absence of the economic engines that once powered them. Abandonment, high vacancy rates, plummeting home values, municipal fiscal crises, and extreme poverty are but a few of the challenges left in the wake of economic decline. For people living in such cold market neighborhoods or cities, the prospect of gentrification seems remote, a distant threat that is unlikely ever to materialize. Urban growth and decline are both uneven and cyclical. If there is one constant about cities in an advanced capitalist economy, it is that they change over time. These antipodal cases mask the middling nuances of urban development in post-industrial American cities. As the urban planner Alan Malik has noted, even in shrinking, divided cities like Detroit, Cleveland, and St. Louis, the investment in high-end, amenity-rich housing is an emergent phenomenon. Just a few blocks away from new upscale development, there remains relentless neighborhood decline and poverty. In hot-market coastal cities and in cold-market metro areas alike, economic opportunity is not equitably distributed. 
the benefits of development overwhelmingly accrue to the wealthy, while the burdens disproportionately impact the poor. A similar pattern is found in housing and land use. History is replete with examples of how both public policies and private actions have been divisive, exclusionary, predatory, and destructive, especially for African-American neighborhoods and other communities of color. A premise and promise of the community land trust model is that it aims straight for the heart of a major cause of these persistent inequities, the ownership and control of land. The fundamental desires for freedom, self-determination, and rootedness in place were core motivations for the creation of the first modern CLT in Albany, Georgia nearly 50 years ago. And they remain so today, which is a reason why CLTs are increasingly utilized in neighborhoods and cities with ascending real estate markets. Community activists and some public officials see in the CLT a strategic tool to counter the negative externalities of market-driven development that are inflicted disproportionately on low-income households and communities of color. A forceful rhetorical case has been made, and some empirical evidence is beginning to appear, demonstrating that community control of land via a CLT can be an effective hedge against market forces that otherwise displace precariously housed people in disempowered neighborhoods. The development of CLTs in cities like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Denver, Austin, Houston, Washington, D.C., Boston, and New York City attests to the allure and applicability of CLTs in ascending markets. In contrast, and strangely so, a compelling case has never been made for CLTs in cold market locales, despite the fact that a number of CLTs have succeeded in places where real estate markets are weak. John Davis has offered a cogent argument that counter-cyclical stewardship, the particular forte of CLTs, can be a stabilizing force amidst market fluctuations. We also have some evidence of CLTs bearing out this promise of stability in market troughs, as happened during the foreclosure crisis of 2008 to 2012, when CLT homeowners did not lose their homes. Nevertheless, we are still lacking a broader argument for why CLTs might be effective in places that are plagued by disinvestment, not reinvestment, that is, places where affordability is not the most pressing issue and where market-instigated displacement is not an imminent threat. This essay is an initial attempt to fill this void, offering a rationale and a provisional menu of strategic options for community control of land via a CLT in cold market areas. Challenges and Opportunities for CLT Development in Cold Markets There's a widespread belief among practitioners, funders, and institutions in the broader community development and affordable housing fields that the CLT model is neither needed nor workable in cold real estate markets. This reductive conclusion belies an unfortunate misunderstanding of the goals and values of many emerging and established CLTs. It is a potentially destructive preconception that can stifle support of new CLT initiatives and thwart important community-driven work before it is given a chance to thrive. Before delving squarely into the qualities of cold marketplaces and the potential for CLTs in those areas, therefore it is necessary to consider briefly the question of the relationship between the strength of a local real estate market and the prospects for creating a viable CLT. CLTs operate in a manner that works to correct for defects in both the private market and the broader political system, 
producing equitable and sustainable outcomes that would not otherwise emerge from either. This ameliorative impact can occur in any market. In this respect, the market itself is a precondition for a CLT. If a more just and democratic system was in place that equitably distributed land, housing, and economic opportunity, a CLT might not be needed. In the absence of such a system, however, there is a redistributive and reparative role for CLTs to play, regardless of the relative strength of the local economy and local real estate market. The feasibility and viability of a CLT in any market, including cold ones, will depend on a complex array of local conditions and factors, including the type of activities a community is hoping a CLT will undertake, who is invited to or excluded from a CLT's decision-making table, and perhaps most importantly, the presence or absence of residents who have organized to improve their neighborhood and to secure a more just allocation of resources. Each of these contingencies offers a window into why a CLT might be the ideal vehicle for equitable development in a cold market. Cold market challenges. What are some of the conditions and challenges for doing community development in cold market areas? By its very nature, a cold market city or neighborhood suffers from a lack of investment and has relatively little economic activity. Within these geographies, economic opportunity for low-income residents is typically scarce and may lead to declining or unstable populations. The relative lack of private economic activity is often matched, moreover, by limited public investment in services and infrastructure. Spillover effects of a depressed economy are reflected in the built environment. Elevated vacancy levels are a common attribute of cold markets, including both unoccupied or abandoned buildings and vacant or undeveloped land. When vacancy levels climb, the condition and value of the overall building stock begins to deteriorate. Declining property values attract unscrupulous speculators looking to drain the remaining value at the further expense of the building stock and to the detriment of existing residents. This speculative activity is frequently carried out by absentee owners, investors with no connection to the community, and no qualms about extracting wealth from struggling residents and their neighborhoods. These conditions invariably put a strain on local government, as property tax revenues wither and the requisite finances for public services begin to evaporate. Public education, infrastructure, public works, parks, and other public facilities, the basic building blocks of civic life, can languish as a result of diminished municipal revenues. Thus begins a vicious, self-reinforcing web of disinvestment and deterioration that is difficult to arrest. Just because property values have declined in a cold market does not mean that housing tenure is secure. Nor does it mean that housing quality is safe and healthy or that rents are affordable relative to wages. Evictions occur across the entire strong market, weak market continuum in the United States, with especially high concentrations in many cold market areas of the American South and disproportionate impacts for low-income, African-American, and female-headed households. While low-income renters are the most vulnerable in this regard, market-rate homeownership is not necessarily more secure. One indication is the 10 million home foreclosures that occurred during the Great Recession, beginning in 2008. Another indication is the enormous number of severely cost-burdened homeowners in the United States who earn below the median income for their area and pay more than half their income for housing. In cold market areas, homeownership might be relatively more affordable for households of modest means compared to hot market cities, 
but it may still be out of reach because wages have stagnated amidst a distressed economy. Moreover, for households who do manage to buy a home in cold marketplaces, the quality of that housing may be low, especially at the bottom end of the market. And for cost-burdened homeowners, there is usually little money left after paying their monthly housing bills to keep up with necessary repairs. For residents living in areas where these types of conditions exist, there can be deep physical and psychological trauma, as well as other health-negating influences, including a lack of access to essential services and healthy food options, limited opportunities for sufficient and meaningful work, fractured networks of social capital, poor housing conditions, and overall neighborhood distress. All are fundamental determinants of health and well-being. All tend to deteriorate in a cold market city or neighborhood where opportunity is restricted. Cold market assets. Despite the compounding negative conditions facing residents of cold market cities and neighborhoods, these places are also replete with many positive and potentially productive assets. The challenge is how to utilize and to leverage those assets in a context of scarcity. Conditions will vary from one place to another, but there are four key assets that may form the basis for CLT development in cold market areas. First, land may be plentiful and relatively inexpensive. This is typically one of the most significant barriers to CLT expansion in hot market areas. By contrast, in cold markets, land that is undeveloped, underutilized, or vacant is often more plentiful and potentially less costly. Second, the market demand for buildings of any type, be they residential, commercial, or industrial, is likely suppressed, which may be accompanied by deteriorated physical conditions, tax delinquency, or functional obsolescence. These are not insignificant challenges in terms of liability and the resources needed for acquisition, rehabilitation, or even demolition. Yet a building stock with limited demand and a low cost may still provide an opportunity for CLT development. Third, people with roots in any place-based community are its most valuable asset. Longtime residents, newcomers, children, families, elders, the displaced, and the houseless all form the potential base of people power, waiting to be engaged, to lead, and to craft new solutions to old problems. Finally, most cold marketplaces already have a set of community development entities, nonprofit organizations, and faith-based institutions working in and among the community, providing social services, and tackling many of the problems noted above. These groups can be sources of financial, technical, and political support for a new CLT. In some cases, a pre-existing organization may even take the lead in initiating a CLT or choose to house a fledgling CLT under its corporate umbrella. These place-based assets provide the opportunity to think expansively about the value and possibilities of the CLT model in areas where the economic rationale around permanent affordability, the most frequently touted benefit of CLTs, is less than compelling due to prevailing market conditions. If the looming loss of housing affordability as a market feature is not a pressing issue, however, then why else might a community want to consider creation of a CLT? Some strategic possibilities are considered below. Beyond homeownership, exploring the myriad options for community-owned land in cold markets. One of the most powerful attributes of the CLT model is its versatility. It is deployable across a range of land uses and societal needs, as identified by its community. 
yet this broad applicability has been underutilized as CLTs have grown in popularity for a primary use, affordable housing in general, and owner-occupied housing in particular. The scant attention paid to CLT development in cold market areas, therefore, may derive in part from the manner in which the field has advanced over the past several decades. CLTs have become largely synonymous with the production and stewardship of permanently affordable homeownership. This is undoubtedly an important and laudable achievement, but narrowing the model's focus to a single purpose has resulted in minimizing the importance of a more fundamental building block, community-owned and community-governed land. Indeed, it can be argued that community-led development on community-owned land is the essence of a CLT rather than the permanent affordability of owner-occupied housing. The former is the feature that connects the CLT of today to the founders of new communities and their struggle for justice, liberation, and self-determination. The framework of community-led development on community-owned land forms the basis for considering the strategic potential of CLTs in cold market areas. It provides an opening to explore nascent possibilities for project development and collective action that are currently underexamined and undervalued in the burgeoning CLT field, at least in the United States. Beyond permanently affordable homeownership, the range of opportunities for CLTs is extensive. Many housing-oriented CLTs have, in fact, already expanded their purviews to include projects with non-residential land uses, with affiliated or mission-supporting lines of business. A cursory look at some of these expansive uses and creative possibilities will help to demonstrate the potential for community-owned land in cold market areas. Community gardens, sustainable agriculture, and open space. One of the most common non-residential uses of CLT land has been for food production. This option may be particularly relevant in low-income, cold-market neighborhoods where access to fresh and healthy food is often limited. There are plentiful examples of existing CLTs that steward land for growing food and food-related businesses. These range from small infill community gardens to multi-acre farms and large-scale open space and agricultural land conservation. In cold-market areas where vacant land may be relatively accessible, either via fee-simple ownership or long-term leasing arrangements managed by a CLT, small-scale urban agriculture or community gardening can serve as a catalytic starting point for new organizations that may not yet have the capacity or resources to undertake larger or costlier real estate projects. Additionally, the activation of an underutilized or problematic parcel with neighborhood residents and partners can serve as a powerful community-building and organizing vehicle to develop goodwill, awareness, and support for additional activities on community-owned land. As one example, the first property acquired by the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust in Toronto, Canada, was a site for gardening and has served as a successful precursor to other CLT acquisitions. In 2017, Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust acquired the 7,000-square-foot Milky Way garden parcel to be permanently preserved as a community-controlled asset. The site plays a particularly vital role for newcomers from Tibet to build community, and to grow culturally appropriate produce. The campaign to acquire the lot also played a galvanizing role to raise funds from community residents and to bolster awareness of the mission of the Community Land Trust. Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust owns the lot and is active in facilitating the community vision for the parcel, leasing the land to a partner organization to manage on a day-to-day -day basis. 
On a much larger scale, the Athens Land Trust in Athens, Georgia, has established an impressive program of land conservation and community agriculture in addition to their affordable housing work. As of 2017, the Athens Land Trust had protected over 16,000 acres of land in 36 Georgia counties via both conservation easements and ownership. These holdings included natural habitats and river frontage, working agricultural land and land of historic significance, and land for public recreation. Additionally, Athens Land Trust's vibrant community agricultural program provides much-needed access to land as well as programmatic support for growing food and food-related businesses. As a steward of land across a diverse range of uses, Athens Land Trust utilizes these assets to create programs offering paid career development and training opportunities for young people in the construction trades, urban farming, and land conservation, all with an eye towards nurturing future generations of local leadership around land-based justice and opportunity. Commercial Land Uses Commercial uses for community-owned land span an incredibly diverse mix of options and scales. The possibilities are endless, limited only by what a community can envision and by what a municipality will permit according to its zoning and building codes. In the commercial context, as with other CLT land tenure arrangements, a CLT can play the foundational role of acquiring land and leasing it out to support community-prioritized economic development, where the CLT can own and manage both the land and improvements. Existing commercial CLT uses include not only stewarding land and buildings for mission-aligned nonprofit and community-serving organizations, but also for more unusual uses, such as a gas station in a rural California coastal community, the Bolinas CLT's BOGAS, and a mobile meat processing facility in rural Washington state through the Lopez Community Land Trust. In cold market areas, a CLT might play a particularly valuable role in supporting non-residential strategies that produce targeted economic benefits and job opportunities for residents who have been harmed by disinvestment. To cite an example from another country, the home-baked CLT in Liverpool, England, got started in 2012 as a reaction to a top-down government-initiated urban renewal plan to demolish a swath of historic buildings in the neighborhood of Anfield. In response, Residents coalesced around a vision to save a cherished neighborhood bakery, turning it into a cooperatively owned business. The home-baked CLT was established to acquire the bakery building and to implement a community-led vision for redeveloping the neighborhood's commercial district. Saving the bakery served as a catalyzing project by initiating the CLT, preserving a visible anchor business, and laying the groundwork for a more expansive agenda for community-owned land in the neighborhood. Back in the United States, the Lopez CLT in Washington State serves as the steward for a number of commercial storefronts that provide incubator space for small local businesses. All 12 of the businesses that utilize these spaces are owned by homeowner leaseholders of the Lopez CLT. Connecting economic and housing security, these commercial spaces offer CLT residents an opportunity to build individual assets in ways that do not put their homes at risk while generating local economic benefits that circulate within the community. Subsidiary, Affiliated, and Mutually Supporting Businesses Across the national landscape, there are more and more cases of CLTs creating affiliated entities or businesses that either bolster the work of the CLT or create aligned opportunities for CLT residents and members. 
For instance, both Proud Ground, a CLT in Portland, Oregon, and the Northern California Land Trust in Berkeley, California, have established real estate brokerages to support in-house property transactions and to generate revenue for the CLT through non-CLT transactions. One Roof Community Housing, a CLT in Duluth, Minnesota, has set up a subsidiary firm to do construction and home rehabilitation for the parent organization. In Berkeley and Oakland, California, three CLTs have come together to explore the creation of a worker-owned property management cooperative to support the needs of resident-operated CLT properties, housing cooperatives, worker cooperatives, and other aligned organizations. It is envisioned that the property management cooperative will leverage the skills of existing CLT residents and co-op worker owners to provide basic property management services as well as capacity building among a broad network of allied organizations. CLT as Steward and Supporter of Community Health and Stability As John Davis has reminded us, the stewardship function of a CLT is not just about maintaining affordability. It also includes the preservation of housing quality and security. Even in markets where affordability may not be a pressing concern, there are important roles a CLT can play in supporting residents with maintenance, repair, and overall housing quality, as well as intervening to cure defaults, advocating for better public policies and services with and for CLT homeowners and tenants, and preventing displacement via foreclosure or eviction. Some of these services may also be offered to non-CLT residents, particularly in areas where such services are lacking. Many existing CLTs already provide pre- and post-purchase homeowner education, credit counseling, and income and asset development coaching for anyone living within their service area, regardless of whether they are CLT homeowners. Depending upon what is needed in a community, a CLT might offer home repair and maintenance support, small business coaching and loans, tenant legal services, and various forms of renter, home buyer, homeowner, and homelessness assistance. Beyond Development, Planning, Organizing, and Building Power In cold market areas where housing affordability is not a priority issue, there may still be significant barriers to engagement, democratic participation, and decision-making related to intersecting economic, political, and ecological issues that disproportionately impact low-income residents and people of color. For these reasons, the resident-centered governance structure of a CLT can serve as a hub to meaningfully assess analyze and advance the needs of those struggling most severely in a cold market. Further, a CLT can be a potent vehicle for leadership development, resident organizing, and base building as a precursor to actually pursuing community-led real estate activities. Community organizing and base building can, in turn, help nurture the conditions in which a CLT emerges, grows, and thrives. An organized cohort of resident leaders and CLT members can hold elected officials accountable exert political pressure when needed, and wield the people power required to evidence a demand for community-led development on community-owned land. The Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative, or DSNI, and its affiliated CLT, Dudley Neighbors, Inc., and the Roxbury section of Boston provide instructive examples of community organizing and base building in what was once a cold market neighborhood. Dudley Neighbors, Inc. is frequently touted as one of the most successful community land trusts in the United States, although few other CLTs have taken up their intentional model of broad-based resident empowerment and community-led planning and development. 
That approach to community development remains as audacious today as it was in 1984 when DSNI was founded. From the outset, DSNI was strategically oriented to support two core activities, place-based organizing of neighborhood residents and resident-led visioning and planning. When combined with the organization's affiliated community land trust, these activities comprise the productive inputs for enacting a community-building strategy on community-owned and community-controlled land. This approach remains particularly vital because it puts the leadership of existing residents at the center of a strategy that builds upon both individual and community capacities and assets. In cities and neighborhoods where low-income residents and communities of color have been systematically disempowered and traumatized by market activity and public policy, this is a fundamental first step towards a restorative, just, and equitable redistribution of power. As Gus Newport, DSNI's former executive director, has observed, To successfully redevelop neighborhoods which have become blighted through years of neglect due to bank redlining, failed government programs, and poor planning, the only way that these areas can be turned around is with the will and involvement of concerned neighbors. A true foundation which will assure long-term participation and neighborhood stabilization only happens when people can see and feel that their involvement and control is real. Anything short of this will result in additional failure, which is what we have in the majority of inner cities across the United States. Beyond the Cold Market Present, Planning for a Just and Equitable Future Market Conditions Change, Safeguarding the Future For people affiliated with CLTs in warm market or hot market areas, it is common to wistfully ponder an alternate reality in which the SEAL team might have emerged a decade or two earlier when land and housing cost a fraction of current prices. By contrast, in cold market areas, few people can imagine a future reality when costs will soar and a wave of investment and high-end development will threaten to displace low-income and moderate-income residents who are presently there. How can these two disparate perspectives be reconciled? History serves as a guide on a specific point related to the failure of markets to provide for those most in need and the inability of political institutions to anticipate or to preemptively set the stage for truly equitable outcomes from development. Disinvestment has often been a precursor to new waves of private investment in stagnant real estate markets. The priority of government officials in such situations is often to incentivize any investment in housing or commercial development rather than risk scaring investors away by requiring the benefits of development to be shared with residents who are most in need. Equitable development is possible, but it must be coaxed into existence with political pressure and inclusive democratic participation. This provides a basic rationale for building the infrastructure of a CLT in the absence of an imminent threat of displacement. Quite simply, local residents who are often excluded from participating in development decisions deserve a seat at the table. In many communities, the only way to assert this right is to organize, to build community power, to demand accountability, and to take control of development under the collective formation of a CLT. There is also a need for a more nuanced understanding of the profound temporal balancing act in which CLTs are engaged. CLTs hold land for community benefit for a very long time, while CLTs and their members enact programs that address immediate resident-identified needs. CLTs must simultaneously uphold 
an extraordinary long-term vision for land reform and social justice. This delicate balance of community priorities across different timelines is a rarely acknowledged and woefully underappreciated hallmark of the CLT. In a cold market, the organizational container to hold land and to promote equitable development across a longer arc of time may reveal new avenues for pursuing community resilience and sustainability. Markets are the problem, planning for a future we actually want. Given the legacy and persistence of racial discrimination in housing and urban development and the disparate impact of development on specific populations, it is practical for a historically deprived and disempowered community to demand more control over ownership, use, and the development of land. In cold market areas in particular, it is both logical and strategic to pursue alternative solutions rather than the same top-down, market-reliant approaches that have harmed, disenfranchised, and marginalized communities in the past. There is a growing cohort of community development organizers and practitioners who view the common stewardship of land as part of a fundamental bridge to an emancipatory future that will supplant the current market-based system. These explicitly visionary, transformational, and political efforts are ambitious roadmaps for a just transition to a more equitable, healthy, and sustainable future. Cooperation Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi provides an especially compelling example of a comprehensive project for sustainable resident-led development, economic democracy, and community ownership. Jackson is a city that exhibits many features of a cold market. The organizers of Cooperation Jackson understand, however, that should the local economy eventually improve through market-based approaches, the needs of Jackson's black and brown residents are unlikely to be met. Kali Akuno of Cooperation Jackson sees a strategic opportunity in the fact that Jackson's economy is presently depressed. It creates a quote-unquote breathing room on the margins to envision and to enact a grand plan for a better, more just future. In his words, we harness this breathing room by exploiting the fact that there is minimal competition in the area to serve as a distraction or dilution of our focus, a tremendous degree of pent-up social demand waiting to be fulfilled, and a deep reservoir of unrealized human potential waiting to be tapped. Along with a solidarity network of democratically-run, worker-owned cooperative enterprises, Cooperation Jackson has developed the Fannie Lou Hamer Community Land Trust is a core element of its long-term vision for developing and sustaining a new economic base for local residents. The importance of bringing more land into the CLT is one of long-term survival in the face of ongoing racial discrimination and economic austerity. As Akuno has said, if the land shifts, the power shifts. Restoring Indigenous Land Stewardship for those who come to the CLT in search of a model for land-based justice, many believe that the only way to achieve a truly just and equitable future will be to acknowledge and to repair the centuries of harm that have been inflicted upon indigenous peoples through colonial systems of enclosure, exclusion, and expropriation of tribal lands. Indigenous women leaders of the Segorite Land Trust in Northern California provide one example. They are developing a new pathway to return ancestral Chochenyo and Karkin Olone lands to indigenous stewardship. Their vision is to restore sacred Olone land to a state that precedes and transcends the market-based system of private property. 
the leaders of the Segorite Land Trust are seeding a transformative conversation that invites all residents of the Bay Area to reevaluate their relationship to the land they inhabit and to acknowledge that indigenous people co-inhabit their ancestral homelands alongside non-native residents, despite a contested history. CLTs everywhere have an important role to play as allies in support of indigenous land struggles. In the particular context of cold markets, one potential avenue for advocacy resides in the reconveyance of land that has been cheapened in terms of market logic, but may hold deep religious or cultural value for indigenous peoples. In some cold market neighborhoods, cities, and regions, a depressed economy with devalued real estate may present a unique opportunity where a restorative conversation around returning land to indigenous stewardship could take root. Conclusion Even in stable markets with established CLTs, private and public support for community-led development on community-owned land often remains tenuous. The model has yet to gain the broad-based acceptance it deserves despite the stellar performance of CLTs to date. Given that many CLTs work exclusively in communities of color and that most CLT housing is developed for low-income households, the inequitable distribution of resources to support the development and expansion of affordable housing on CLT land must necessarily be viewed as a racial and economic justice issue. This is a reality affecting hot, cold, and lukewarm markets alike. The lack of resources being made available for the expansion of CLTs in the United States is due less to what a CLT is than to who it benefits. It is a reflection of how deeply entrenched the current system of housing delivery remains, how little room there is for models of tenure that push beyond the reductive dichotomy of renting versus owning, and how little political will there is to reform that system to allow more just forms of land ownership to flourish in all markets. CLTs continue to be criticized by skeptics for not getting to scale, measured solely in terms of the number of housing units in a CLT's portfolio. A rejoinder to this narrow conception of scale has been offered by Zachary Murray of the Oakland Community Land Trust, who points out that many grassroots CLTs are seeking to elevate something far more fundamental. Community control of land in places where, for generations, residents have been denied any sort of collective control over how land has been used or developed. It can also be said that scale should be measured horizontally, counting the number of communities that have adopted strategies that put land use decision making and long term control in the hands of residents who have been systematically and historically cut out of the frame. To date, cold market cities and neighborhoods have been an overlooked part of the horizontal potential and performance of CLTs. As the CLT model continues the long journey towards acceptance and professionalization, however, there exists an opportunity to apply the model in places and ways that go beyond its current hot market focus on preserving the affordability of owner-occupied housing. In this context, Cold markets are prime areas for CLT invention and exploration. They provide opportunities for community-led development on community-owned land that include more than housing, opportunities to build resilient models of democratic participation and governance through which residents can influence current and future development, and opportunities to restore land justice in communities that have been harmed by government policy, market activity, and white supremacy. The road may be rockier in cold markets, but the long-term growth, vitality, 
and acceptance of the CLT movement demands a model that is inclusive and deployable in any market. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.